Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline. And today's episode is called Harry Podcast and the Dementor. Today we will be discussing the character of Remus Lupin, what Dementors represent, and how Dumbledore's speech signals that the series has taken a dark turn. So our chapter begins with the whole Weasley clan plus Harry and Hermione getting into ministry-provided cars to go to King's Cross Station to catch the Hogwarts Express. Right before he gets on the train, um, Mr. Weasley starts to tell Harry about Sirius, which he already knows because he eavesdropped last night. But Arthur still wants to make sure that Harry doesn't go after him, quote, no matter what he hears. Right. And the weird thing is that he says, don't go after him. Like, as though Harry is about to... Chase a murderer. Yeah. So then Harry gets on the train uh, into a mostly empty compartment, but the only one they find has a sleeping old man in it. um, And Hermione identifies him as Professor R.J. Lupin from his briefcase and says he must be the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. So later on in the journey on the train, they are not yet at Hogwarts, but the train suddenly stops. All the lamps go out. Um, They don't know what's going on. So then this really scary, horrifying creature arrives at the door of the compartment and Harry goes cold and hears screaming. Harry then wakes up on the floor and learns from everyone in his compartment that he fainted and that he had a much bigger reaction than everybody else. Although other people did feel cold, they didn't faint and hear screaming so then lupin explains to harry about the dementors who are the azkaban guards um and gives everybody pieces of chocolate which he says will help them feel better harry is really embarrassed um and once they get to the castle he's especially embarrassed when mcgonagall asks to see him and hermione in the office um she's asking him what's going on how are you feeling madame pomfrey comes to examine him um, he insists that he's fine. He just feels like they're fussing over him. And right. he's like, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm okay. Yeah. And then he waits in the hallway because McGonagall is going to have a mysterious meeting with Hermione about her class schedule. And then um, Dumbledore's start of term speech before the feast uh, has a warning regarding the Dementors who are now stationed at the entrances to Hogwarts. Um, and the crew finds out that Hagrid is their new care of magical creatures teacher. So let's start a little bit where we left off in the last chapter with this next conversation about Sirius between Harry and Arthur on the train platform. Um, So I'm wondering kind of what is Arthur's perception of what happened with Sirius and Harry's parents and what exactly does Arthur think that Harry will find out? Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what is common knowledge in the world or within people who are in the know. I think it is relatively common knowledge that um Sirius Black was in league with Voldemort and that he betrayed the Order of the Phoenix like mm-hmm. that he was the he was the spy um I don't think it was common knowledge that he and James were best friends okay except among people their age because obviously everyone who was at Hogwarts at that time would know they were like the dynamic duo so Arthur and Molly were not in the Order of the Phoenix last time mm-hmm. but Molly's brothers were okay so they probably would have known that James and Sirius were best friends, but I really doubt that Molly would have known because she wasn't really in that group. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think Arthur would have known either. So I just think that 
what Arthur knows is Sirius Black is responsible for the death of Harry's parents. Okay, not so he that does he know that. like not that they were best friends. Right. Um. So I think that's why he's like Harry. Like, make sure you, no matter what you hear, don't go looking for him because yeah. he knows that Harry is like very um like justice oriented and is always like triggered by his parents' deaths, basically. And so like anything that Harry connects to his parents' deaths, he always wants to confront it. Right. Um, and Harry, I mean, I think Arthur is really smart because Harry would be dumb enough to do this. Yeah. Um, and we see that he is, but he does this with Voldemort anyway um, in the past two books when he's just kind of rushing at things and he's like, let me just handle it because I'm 12 and I know everything yeah. and I was a powerful baby so <laughs> I guess I can just do this. In the first book when he's like Voldemort killed my parents so I'm going to go and confront him and yeah. he's 11 and yeah. everyone's like this is fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so no, this is totally something Harry would do. So Arthur is very cognizant of that and that's why he gives him that very cryptic seeming right. warning. And it's possible that, you know, this warning backfires a little bit. Um because then Harry's sort of on the lookout for that type of information. Yeah, he sort of he gets the wheel spinning about yeah. like, okay, why would he actually say that? Right. What does this have to do with me? Um, but it is, you know, it makes sense and this at this point why Arthur is giving this warning. So everyone's in the compartment together. We have Lupin, Ron, Hermione, Harry, Scabbers, mm -hmm. and Crookshanks. Uh, and Harry's sneakoscope starts going off. Right. So there's actually, I think, two possibilities for why the sneakoscope goes off um from reading the book before we know scabbers is obviously hiding something pretty huge um but also lupin is hiding something pretty huge yeah and i think that when the timing of when it goes off um seems like you know they're kind of thinking about lupin looking at lupin throughout the beginning of this time on the train and i think that it could be Kind of both things. So this is what we mentioned when he received the sneakoscope as a gift, that it seems like, oh, the sneakoscope is, um, you know, defective. It's not working. It's just going off at random times. But then we learn later that actually it has been, and it's mostly associated with scabbards, but it is interesting that Lupin is here and he's kind of a mysterious character. And we know that he is hiding a huge secret that will also be revealed later. I think it's possible that it's a misdirection as well. Like mm. the reader is supposed to think, oh, there's something weird about Lupin. Uh, right? And really there's nothing sinister about him per se. No. He's a good dude. But, um, you know, that that's supposed to maybe distract us from the fact that it keeps going off around Scabbers right. in particular. Because um, we're supposed to kind of sympathize with Scabbers. You know, there's this cat that's yeah, always after him. After him mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, but I, I think that's a good point. Okay, so what do we know about the character of Lupin so far? Um, so again, we see him. He's a little bit mysterious. Um, the first thing is that it's strange that he is uh, an adult and a professor on the train. They say we've never seen any of the Hogwarts professors taking the train. Right. They definitely travel in other ways to Hogwarts or are already there. So this is strange, and it kind of um, lends itself to us thinking about his socioeconomic status Definitely. as well as they describe his kind of shabby clothes and luggage um and seeming like maybe he just does not have a lot of money so why would it be that he wouldn't for example apparate to hogsmeade um and then walk to hogwarts or something yeah i'm not i'm honestly not totally sure i wonder part of me wonders if 
either that there's something with his werewolf situation that makes apparating or things like that um, more dangerous or he feels less in control. Um, or it could also be that he maybe suspected that there were going to be Dementors on the train mm. um, or that something would be going on and he wanted to be there to help or protect. That's an interesting idea. I'd never thought about that. I think my perspective had always been that it was supposed to highlight that he was very poor. Mm-hmm. And so obviously he can't afford flu powder or a port key, which mm-hmm. were the normal ways that mm-hmm. you would get to Hogwarts or apparating. Uh, not that apparating costs you any money, but maybe just that he wanted some rest and he was hoping right. that he could just get on the train because the train's free and he could just get on the train and he could sleep for, you know, eight hours or so and get a, and get a good afternoon nap. Yeah, uh, and we know that apparition is stressful for anyone Mm -hmm. and physically takes a toll and i think just for him physically is not well anyway so it might be something that he tries to avoid yeah definitely we also learn that he is a very skilled uh you know in in the defensive arts um he's able to repel the dementor Mm -hmm. which is not something that we've ever heard of before and actually that is um one of the keys to harry's story throughout this book is that he is trying to overcome um the Dementor's seemingly paralytic effect on him. Right. Um, and one of the only things that keeps him going is this idea that there is a way to repel them mm-hmm. because Lupin showed him that first day on the train. Right. Um, and so he'll try really, really hard to learn that technique, mm-hmm. obviously, and that's a big part of this book. Um, he also understands some home remedies, mm-hmm. as Madame Pomfrey points out, the giving people chocolate when they have been exposed to a Dementor attack um, is like the main treatment right uh, for for the lingering cold gloomy feeling um and and sort of the shock of everything yeah madame pomfrey approves of that she seems very happy that harry's um, already been treated with chocolate and um, approves that she says something like we finally have someone that knows what they're doing basically yeah and and it's funny because um rowling has said in interviews like it's not magical chocolate or anything it's mm. literally just chocolate mm-hmm. the, the treatment for dementors is chocolate so yeah. um it's it's cool because it and obviously we'll talk about this a little bit more but um you know the idea of the dementors sort of being analogous to like depression mm-hmm. um it's very like emotion based and that the the idea that the treatment is just like something that makes you happy right you know? even if it's as simple as eating chocolate it's really nice so the last thing about Lupin that's interesting so far, we know his name. Um, so Remus Lupin and also Sirius Black, who is, of course, a um, big character so far in this book, um, are very obvious naming examples um, that Rowling uses that seem maybe a little bit too spot on, although they seem like great names great names to me, but they are quite spot on if you know the meaning of them. Mm-hmm. So Remus is um, one of the two main figures in the um, myth of how Rome was founded. There were two brothers, Romulus and Remus, who were raised by a mama wolf. Um, And basically they were like abandoned. And so the wolf raised them. And then eventually one of the two brothers, Romulus, killed his brother Remus and founded Rome. Um, Not that the Rome has anything to do with it really, but just that the idea that they were raised by a wolf. Mm-hmm. So the name Remus should put into a reader's head the idea of a wolf. And then the latter part of his name, Lupin, um, the word lupine comes from Latin and means wolfish or wolf-like. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you look at his name as like a first last, 
just Remus Lupin. It's wolf. like wolf raised by wolves. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what his parents were thinking when they named him that. Obviously, <laughs> they marked him for um, becoming a werewolf. Becoming a werewolf. Yeah. So not super lucky on that front. Um, and then Sirius Black, obviously uh, Sirius, also from Latin, um, is the name of the dog star. So in the constellation um, Canis Major, Sirius is the brightest star, and it's called the dog star. And then his last name is Black. We've oh. already seen a black, black dog, dog. Yeah. appearing in this book. That's what he is. Point being, basically, that um, if you are someone who knows anything about the um, two first names of uh, Remus or Sirius, uh, you'll probably be able to figure out what's going on in the in the book and like the overall narrative. Um, simply because the big mysteries of this book are what's going on with Lupin mm-hmm. and what's going on with Sirius Black. Right. And once you know, like, okay, Sirius Black is actually that black dog that's been hanging around. Right. And, oh, Lupin's probably a werewolf because his name means wolf raised by wolves. Yeah. Um, then it's not super hard to figure <laughs> it out, you know? Yeah, but, you know, we didn't figure it out, so I guess. Not when we were eight or whatever yeah. we were. Um, but, no. But I think if I was reading these books today, I'd be like, huh, okay, well, that's... Um, not not very clever, Rowling. <laughs> so getting to the main part of the chapter, which is the Dementors. Um, so we finally get a name and description for these Azkaban guards, which we have been talking about in the past couple chapters and thinking that it was strange that they're using the phrase Azkaban guards. It's because they were waiting for this chapter to have Lupin explain what Dementors are and give them a name. I would argue that this is the biggest sort of horror element thus far in the series. Yeah. I know that we talked a lot about horror last book and there were, you know, other elements of that. But this is kind of the monster, um, scary movie monster type thing that I think yeah, we would associate. I think the basilisk of last book is a little too grandiose. Right. Um, and, and while that one does have horror elements, it's sort of more like a mythic creature. Yeah. This one is like real and, it, yeah. and it's very visceral. Um, so definitely a lot scarier. And there's multiple of them. It's not just one thing that you can kill. It's a force of guards. Right. And we're not even sure you can kill Dementors. Right. So it's very, yeah, they're very terrifying. So I just wanted to actually read a little bit from the book. This is, um, from this chapter on page 83. And this is a description of of the Dementor, specifically the Dementor's hand that Harry sees. Its face was completely hidden beneath its hood. Harry's eyes darted downward, and what he saw made his stomach contract. There was a hand protruding from the cloak, and it was glistening, grayish, slimy-looking, and scabbed, like something dead that had decayed in water. But it was visible only for a split second. As though the creature beneath the cloak sensed Harry's gaze, the hand was suddenly withdrawn into the folds of its black cloak. And then the thing beneath the hood, whatever it was, drew a long, slow, rattling breath as though it were trying to suck something more than air from its surroundings. Um, I think that's a, a very evocative description and very good writing by Rowling, especially that whole hand looks like it's been decayed in water thing Mm -hmm. that sort of brings up a disgusting image that you can think of um and that is very zombie like in a way it's sort of we can it's a combination of different horror elements that i think we know sort of zombie ghost witch mummy like all these things are a little bit combined in this hooded figure with sort of a decayed 
skeleton underneath is yeah, what I picture. Definitely. And so as I briefly mentioned earlier, they're largely thought of in the series as sort of a metaphor for depression, um, which is interesting that this like most scary thing we've encountered in the book so- thus far is sort of a feeling mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or rather a state of mind. It's, you know, like Ron's description, I felt like I'd never be cheerful again. Right. Um, and also that we learn later on, like if a Dementor um, uses its ultimate power, it basically kills what makes you a person. Yeah. It reduces you to an empty shell. Um, and I think, you know, we could say it's also similar to like trauma because we have this intense physical reaction, conjures memories of your past, things that traumatize you in the past. So, you know, it definitely makes me think of PTSD. You know, it, you're forced to relive your worst memories and it's all you can experience. Yeah. And I also think that it's like that trauma reminder in a way that, um, People, everyone has a bad reaction to it, but everyone has different levels of reactions. And so this, you know, this is not a a benign reminder. This is definitely scary. It's not like you see um, a water bottle and somebody has a reaction to that because of something that happened to them. This is a scary horror figure, but some people just feel cold and scared and want it to go away. And then some people, based on their past, go back into more of a flashback and feeling um, like they are reliving the worst memory. So for Harry, the screaming we learn later is his mother screaming um, when she was trying to protect him and when he was dying, when she was dying. Um, So that is terrifying and he's having a more extreme sort of panic attack almost reaction Mm -hmm. um to this whereas other people are just feeling uncomfortable but not to the same extent yeah so that's that's a really good point that it that it's relative to um how powerful those memories are from your past um so what do we think about how this was handled by various people in terms of you know what what do they say to harry and how do they treat him so Mm. let's start with lupin how does lupin act I think Lupin probably reacts the best um, towards Harry. So Lupin is very calm. He's also, he's the one that deals with the Dementors. So he's not panicking, but he's also being firm and using magic eventually to get them out. Um, And then he is, you know, checking in on Harry, but not pitying him and not overly freaking out and then he's giving him the chocolate just sort of saying eat the chocolate eat the chocolate come back to the moment Mm -hmm. which is what i think of as this if it's not magical chocolate it's just be in the moment experience something positive um and try to do it even if you don't feel like it just do it anyway because it's going to help you get back here and not be in that place so what about um professors mcgonagall and pomfrey um, you know, how how do they treat Harry and how does that make him feel? Well, I think that they, you know, they don't do a terrible job either. They're, they're trying, they're concerned, but they do, they take him away. They're not in public um, asking him things, but they are, you know, in front of Hermione and in front of themselves, sort of making sure he's okay, wanting to see if he needs to skip the feast. And that's not very helpful because he's feeling more singled out and like there's something maybe wrong with him. Yeah, and he's embarrassed. Yeah, really embarrassed. He's like, why did I go to pieces like that and yeah. no one else did? And they they can't really give a good 
explanation. Um, right. I think that's the other thing, too. Yeah. Is that nobody explains to him, like, this isn't anything to do with you. This is right. about things you experienced in the past. And that's where the power comes from. If someone had said that, I think he'd, you know, he'd still be embarrassed, but he'd, he'd at least understand it more. I know. But I don't know. It's sort of hard to tell, like, what people know about Dementors. It seems like Lupin knows a lot, but I'm not totally sure that McGonagall and Pomfrey know all the effects. They may know how to sort of treat it after the fact, but I don't know if they know um, what makes people really have that. I'm not sure if that is yeah. more common knowledge or what. Um, it's also difficult once he gets to the castle because he there's sort of the political element of um, realizing that the ministry likely sent the mentors, which we'll talk about, but they that the castle most people in the castle don't seem to want them there but they also have to um kind of obey the orders and they um there's a power shift in that way where the dementors almost have more power which we can talk about um when we get to dumbledore's reaction yeah so let's talk about dumbledore's reaction um he gives that speech at the start of term feast and he seems not super pleased that the Dementors are there. Definitely he, not. He also doesn't say outright that he's not super pleased. It's sort of what we glean from the way that he says things. And also we heard Arthur and Molly in the Molly discussion right. about that. So we already have some inside information. But um, what does this say about the balance of power in the British magical government right now? Um, and then we can also talk maybe a little bit about putting it into the context of this balance of security and liberty. Right. And and what is this society willing to give up on the one side in exchange for the other? Yeah, I think that that is really the heart of all of this um, and probably what Rowling is trying to represent in some ways. Um, so first, Dumbledore, we, so we, I think we know it's probably Fudge that did this. Um, so we see that he does not have the ultimate power, even over his own school. The ministry is still, um, the ministry is still above him, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have that. Um, we also see Dumbledore's demeanor change very much in this speech, where he is very firm. You know, it's not a whimsical thing, which is what his speeches have been up until now, pretty much. Right. And he is saying, you know, the Dementors do not do well with your pleading and excuses, basically. So if you um, step out of line or do something, sneak out at night, um, they don't understand that. And he's sort of trying to press that in a way without, sounds like he's trying to do it without terrifying them, but he wants to scare them enough to say, this is serious. This is not just you're going to get in trouble with the school. Yeah. And it's also trying to impress upon them that they're, there is a level of, again, as you said, there's a level of things going on that are outside of his control and jurisdiction now. So he's sort of also saying, like, I can't necessarily protect you. Right. If you step over a line, and I don't know exactly where that line is, you might just be screwed, mm-hmm. and I can't and I can't do anything about it. Um, and so it does represent, yeah, in a lot of ways, the power shift that's happened here. I think also the incident of the Dementor on the train illustrates something else, which is that it's our first glimpse into the idea that the Dementors can't necessarily be controlled, mm-hmm. even by the Ministry. Right. I don't think anyone ordered them to search the train for Sirius Black. You don't? Okay. I don't. I don't think that anyone ordered them to do that. 
I think that was their prerogative to do because I don't think anyone would say go and go and terrify a whole train full of children. Yeah. No one would say that. Um, so I think the Dementors did that of their own prerogative and certainly no one ever intended for Harry Potter to faint. Right. Because a Dementor got right up in his face. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it's showing us that even Fudge, who is, um, allegedly ordering them around, mm-hmm. doesn't have ultimate authority over them. They're, they're independent. And eventually when they go over to Voldemort's side, that will become crystal clear. Right. So it's, um... That security versus liberty portion, I think that it's kind of a representation and, you know, we can think about obviously parallels in our world of once things like sort of a military presence, which is what this is in a way, um, but also a presence where they are not necessarily on, they don't have any morals. So it's completely Mm -hmm. extreme. They're not fighting for anything. They're just looking to find the person they need to find and get their task done and ultimately they want to take souls and that's kind of their goal as well and they Mm -hmm. have to be a little bit reined in and so it's sort of like once you start the security over liberty and you say we are going to put up this extreme security add more you know weapons so to speak in our arsenal and kind of guard this place that's supposed to be safe um what what happens with that you you do lose control because these are individual creatures not people but they're creatures that um don't really answer to anyone and they may not go with the mission that they were originally intended to i think in a lot of ways this creature the dementor is supposed to be a caricature of police Mm-hmm. And specifically, I'm thinking about police in America because when I think about police in Britain, I don't think horrifying fascist arm of the government. Um, but, you know, it's hard to ignore the idea that that the Dementor is a representation of that idea, that when you have um, a security force, which is essentially what the police are for, you know, they're for mm-hmm. security, um, that gets to essentially do whatever they want with no consequences mm-hmm. um, when they feel like they are not part of the populace, but are in fact something else. Right. When they feel like um, anything is acceptable as long as their job gets done and they are safe, um, then it, it sort of starts to trend toward this weird dystopian society where everyone is afraid of the people who are supposed to protect them. Um and here you see no one likes the Dementors. No one no. wants them to be there. In fact, everyone wishes that they were gone. Fudge even says, I don't like working with the Dementors, but they're really great at their job, which mm-hmm. is catching wizard criminals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have the situation where they're is totally estranged from the population. You have this population that is so afraid of the people who are not people, but Dementors who are supposed to protect them mm-hmm. that now they're they're just about to start fighting against them just because what the Dementors actually do to people is bleed all of their happiness out of them. Right. And and make it so that they are not happy people. And if you think back to, you know, the Lockean principles that founded America and, and Britain as well, you know, it's life, liberty, happiness. So if you don't have liberty and you don't have happiness because these Dementors are here, mm-hmm. um, 
then your inalienable rights are being trampled. And that that's what eventually, you know, things like the end of this book where Harry has to fight off all the Dementors, that's right. where that happens. This, which I don't think Rowling was specifically thinking of, but reminds me now of is that um, this is a school. Uh, we know this is a school. Um, thinking of the idea of, like, school shootings, it's not exactly a parallel to this. But there is some outside threat that potentially they think may come into the school to target someone specific and or the whole school because they are a mass murderer and have done this before. Um, And it seems a little bit like we are going to have armed guards, you know, at the school um, or like arming teachers, that kind of thing. Um, It's not an exact parallel, but that that is kind of what it reminds me of right now because it's saying that, you know, we're going to take this and we're going to get more defensive and not really thinking about the fact that all those things can backfire and actually make it more dangerous when you have um, more potentially violent forces supposedly on your side Mm -hmm. that are trying to get um, attack or prevent another violent force from coming in. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And and, and again, we can highlight here that the only person who is ever actually put in danger by the dementors this entire year mm-hmm. is harry potter right did the ministry of magic want that to happen absolutely not no. but it was a direct consequence of the fact that the dementors were stationed at hogwarts did they catch sirius black no right did they catch peter Pettigrew? no but did they almost kill harry potter yes yeah so that's a big problem so nothing that they they don't achieve any of their goals and they completely backfires to probably the one person that they want, actually the one person that they want to protect. And I think it's important to note here, Dementors almost don't care. No. Like we say they, they meaning the Ministry of Magic. The Ministry of Magic wants to protect Harry. Dementors don't care. No, they don't care. They're totally happy to kill him if it means getting to their target. Yeah, and we see when they go again to Voldemort's side later on that, that their motivations are towards kind of evil, anti-love, anti-happiness, all mm-hmm. these things that Voldemort represents. And being drawn to possibly uh, harming Harry makes a lot of sense. And then Dumbledore says, says this overtly at the end of Goblet of Fire, but I think it's prudent to bring it up now. It's like, look at what you've allied yourself with. Right. You know, this is not who you want for your allies. Right. This is someone you should be fighting against. Yeah, exactly. Really. We should be keeping the Dementors under control, not using them as an exercise of our own control. Um, But anyway, let's go back to something that happens at the end of the chapter that's really sweet. Yeah, happier moment. Which is that, and this will be our chocolate for this episode, Hagrid becoming the Care of Magical Creatures teacher. So cute. He's crying and everyone cheers and, you know, Harry, Ron, Hermione are surprised and they go up and... And uh, congratulate him, and he's really feeling like I never thought this would happen. This is exactly what I wanted, and, and he's openly crying. Dumbledore is so great, and I'm just feeling a lot of good feelings. So it's a very nice moment to end this uh, pretty disturbing chapter. Yeah, definitely. And and of course, Ron says we should have known it was Hagrid. Who else would assign a biting? Book? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening to Harry Podcast and The Dementor. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. If you have thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today, especially the meaning of Dementors, their role in the series, um, the significance of them, please email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com.
You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at www.theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcast. Stay tuned for next time when we divine the meaning of Chapter 6, Talons and Tea Leaves. I'm Madeline. And I'm David, and we'll see you next time on The Harry Podcast. Nux.